Blog Talk Radio. everyone this is marty oakley this is the ts radio network and it is january 25th 2022 do you know where your country went because i sure don't uh, getting started here tonight we're going to have peggy dupree uh, betty gosnell if she's available and paris golick is going to finish up her interview and do a part two on what we started last week before we get rolling here I want to say happy birthday to Marcel Reed, uh, who puts on the Whistleblower Summit every year in Washington, D.C., and thank you for making us a part of that. And um, there's going to be some big changes there that we'll be announcing here soon. Oh, and um, I'm telling you, it's like everything's falling. There is a blizzard of legislation coming out in every state, some federally, about guardianship. We have raised that much of a ruckus about it. Unfortunately, not one piece of it's worth the paper it's written on. Um, I'm all for advocacy and people who are active and trying to get something done, but you have to understand when you're dealing, whether state or federally, with representatives and senators, the only thing they're interested in is keeping their position. And if you don't have thousands of dollars to throw in their campaign chest as a donation, uh, they're basically just going to soft mouth you and then Whoever does donate big money gets their way. We see this over and over. And when you follow the money trail, what you see is paid interference by the bar associations, the guardianship associations, uh, the probate judge association, this one and that one, all these stakeholders in this probate system. So until we can get somebody that's got some cojones, um, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to keep trying to do it either way. As I said this week, uh, Paris Golick is returning for part two of her interview. Peggy Dupree is co-hosting. So, Peggy, I'm going to let you pick this up from here and start your interview. Thank you for having me on, uh, Marty, and hello, Paris. Um, we're going to be talking about how DCF can take your child or adult if uh, you have a, a potential lawsuit or had a lawsuit and won a large settlement. Uh, Paris, you can go ahead and start talking about, you know, uh, how your child was taken because of the um, pharmaceutical lawsuit that you won, and then we're going to go into how to protect you, Paris, and other victims like you. Uh, Thank you, Marty, for having us all on, and thank you, Peggy, for um, keeping my story out there and, and helping me in this matter. It's really been a long road, and something that is definitely not expected and you know having worked in advocacy myself and having worked in the system I'm telling you it's like a slap in the face to even have to deal with this and that's harshly put but that's about how it is so what had happened is our daughter when she was five months old had a vaccine reaction 
And through a series of events and because of my prior training and work experience in nursing, I was able to prove causation with her, uh, the vaccines that she had a reaction to. And it caused her to have a severe adverse reaction that caused her two life events. So she coded twice. And when I got her through that, I was able to prove, um, without a doubt, in a federal tort claim, the causation of that vaccine attributed to those seizures attributed to her um, adverse reactions. And we we spent seven years in federal tort claims and federal court taking my information where I had journaled and my day planner, those were the two items along with a professional witness who actually won the case. And so once the case was actually won, then what happened next is that um, we were told that we would be needing to appoint as guardians or co-guardians, my husband and I, permanent guardians of our daughter and of her estate. And then we would have a an attorney at litem in the state that it was entitled and seated in and so we had to uh appoint that person that that or that person had to be appointed as well we were basically only given two different names two different banks there was there was only two of everything so everything was laid out for us essentially we were kind of pigeonholed in that everything was laid out for us that we could only have those two choices and then we would have to choose. So all of this was completely new to both of us. And really, I felt like it was that we couldn't ask a lot of questions because of the simple fact of, you know, the government uh, attorney and uh, those, it was a third party company that was actually feeding the trust for the government that we were being forced to choose between two different people, but it was essentially both their choices. So we just had to choose between their two choices. And so it wasn't really a choice for us. We just got the option of saying we chose A or B. And Mm -hmm. once that happened, I started questioning because I started looking at some of the documents of the entitlement and, you know, the, the, the entitlement and the, the proper. And it stated on there that our daughter was labeled as a ward of the state. And I questioned that because having worked in, in foster care in the system and as an advocate, as a CASA advocate, I questioned why is my daughter being labeled as a ward of the state? Because she clearly has two, two parents. She has, you know, her dad and I, we were not divorced and at that point had no intentions of divorcing. And so I was curious, why is my daughter labeled awarded the state because she's been injured by a vaccine? I proved that. And so now if we want to take the entitlement, and I questioned my own litigating attorney, and said, do I have to sign this? And he says, if you want the entitlement, you do. I says, why do I have to sign this? Because my daughter's not awarded. And he says, well, it's just, you know, it's just policy, it's just, or procedure, it's just the way, procedural rules that we do it. And I said, well, that's just, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. And I said, well, what else can I do? And he says, well, you can sign it and then you can appeal it, but I can assure you, you will not win it. So I was stuck 
And I thought, well, what do I do? I'm sitting there with my daughter. She's finally making some progress that I know that it's going. My husband and I could both work multiple jobs and never take a day off and pay and provide for her care or do her care ourselves. We could never make enough money in order to give her what she needed in order to rehab. And that was my one, that was my only goal was to rehab my child. And Karen, so, um, uh huh. I want to ask you several questions. Okay. Yep. At that time, did DCF do a home study on you? No. Okay. Did DCF do a home study on your ex husband? No. Okay. Uh, did you sign a care plan? No. There was nothing from DCF. The only care plan that was brought into position is I brought a care plan into position only for no. funding of entitlement. But what no other is, plans were brought in. Yeah. What, what they have to do is before the petition, you know, even though she has some, she won the settlement because of uh, medical injuries, DCF mm-hmm. has to do a home study on both parents, okay? And what they do is if they find out that one parent has either abused, neglected, or exploited the child, they will have that parent sign a care plan admitting to the guilt, okay? Once you sign the care plan, then you have to uh, finish whatever that social worker has made recommendations. Uh, first of all, uh, before she can submit it to the court, it has to go – it depends on when the settlement was won. If it happened between uh, 2016, 2019, the inspector general would have had to send a certified copy of the findings of abuse to the administration clerk of court where the child's at. And then they would uh, submit that findings attached with DCF care plan. Then the judge, they do an ex parte order. It's called protective uh, – uh, it's a protective order where they will have – uh, the abuser is not allowed to be in the the hearing. It's only the opposing party, the the child or the adult, and the judge. They make the recommendations, and then they have a, another hearing, and then you're invited, and it, and it violates your due process because you're not a part of the protective order. So they make their ruling, and you don't have any say-so. So your attorney already knows what's happening prior before they enter the hearing. And I think that needs to be changed. I think they need to uh, waive this protective order because I think they need to have a jury trial when DCF is alleging a parent has abused a child. They have to have expert witness come in both sides, not just one-sided, because DCF is a conflict of interest because they're making uh, millions of dollars off that child because of that settlement. So, you know, that's where the judge needs to say, wait a second, for the best interest of the child, we need to have – the parent that was being accused have an ex uh, have an expert uh, defend her and and provide the medical records of your child, but they don't do that and that needs to be changed. Uh, and what they did with you, uh, Paris, is they had to uh, violate the home study. They violated that. They didn't have the certified copy from the inspector general or the sheriff's department. Depending on which state you was in, Paris, because I know you have several mm-hmm. different court orders um, mm-hmm. that was commenced in your cases. So um, if it was 2016 to 2019, it would be an inspector general. If it's 2019 to 2022, it would be the sheriff's department that does the investigations and has to certify it 
of probable cause abuse, uh, neglect, and exploitation to the administration clerk of courts. So at that point, what they would do is they take your rights away from you, violating your due process, substance due process rights without a jury trial, because they had to take you out of, they had to wait till the child reached 18 in order for them to nab the child because you would have felt under the family law, which would have uh, provided you uh, a jury trial. So what they do then is they put the child's settlement money in a DCF trust uh, fund, and that way they can control it. They make interest off the money, not the child. The child will never see the money of the interest. And they do what they see fit of what they want done. You don't get the money back once they get in. I mean, it takes years and years of litigating if you don't know what you're doing. So, uh, you, you know, you've got to know somebody that knows policies and procedures and know how to get through the loopholes of these people. And, you know, uh, that you found us and that's what we do. Yeah, because I tell you what, I, you know, I know a little bit and I can tell you what I have experienced and what I have experienced is I have been steamrolled since day one. In fact, I have begged organizations, I have begged auditors, controllers, and you name it, in three different states to get involved in this and do an investigation and no one will even respond to me. Okay, no well, we're going to fix that, Paris. And we're going to teach you the little secret, uh, secrets that they don't – no attorney will tell a client. They do that because they have to make money off of you. They should be barred because they're there to represent you, not the courts, but you know how that works. Well, what you yeah. need to do is uh, the county that the child's in, you have to do what is called a sworn statement, okay? And what they do is you swear to the deputy everything you say is uh, – true or they arrest you under penalty of law and then what you do is you bring your evidence with you okay you have to do you, you do some knocks prior before you go to the sheriff's department you have your thoughts all wrote down you have an excellent summary of what events happened and you write the crime that was committed against the child abuse neglect exploitation that was committed and you have to write the statute a lot of people don't know this because you know uh lawyers write these up for the victims they normally go to the uh, police station, stations, or they write the letter to the inspector general, so the client will never see this. So they will say, okay, they attached exhibits with their complaint supporting probable cause of abuse, neglect, exploitation. So what you do when you go to the sheriff's department, you put that in your uh, your uh, sworn statement. That's critical. You attach exhibits. You go exhibit one, exhibit two, exhibit three. So how many? Whatever. Only about the federal crimes were committed. Try to keep it federal because if you can keep it federal then you can get a referral to the FBI. If you go down low to state courts, the, the state courts will keep it. And, it. and it's hard to get anything done if you have a public official in the state court that violated your rights. So you always want to take it to the federal to try to get away from that district, okay? And then once you get the exhibits wrote down, you're going to write the, uh, the statutes that was violated. You're going to attach exhibits of evidence to support your probable cause in a sworn statement, and then make sure that intake law enforcement signs the report and, and date it, and then you're going to go and ask for a certified copy of that, and you're going to attach your evidence log. You want to have your evidence log pre-made up, and you can get evidence log offline, or you can pre-make them yourself, and um, do your evidence log and stuff. That way, make it as easy as you can for the sheriff's department, 
because they only have basically one intake deputy that does all this. So if he's got like 10 people, you know, it's very hard for him to do all this, and they get frustrated. So it's nice to be courteous, professional, and and have your work provided, have your work done before you go into the sheriff's department. Once you get it certified, uh, then, you know, you, you take that, and then what we're going to do with that, once we get that filed and you ask for charges to be done, you're going to take it to the Civil Commissions on Human Rights. Now, they do that if federal laws were violated, or in your case, it's very important that any child or adults that's been abused and have a, a pharmaceutical tort, this is the way you want to go. You want to go to the Citizens Commission on Human Rights. You want to have your evidence pre-done first. We'll attach that to your complaint. We're going to ask for a referral to the FBI. Uh, you know, and then if the case has merit, normally they appoint you attorney if it's good enough. So this is the route we want to go with this. And it opens up the doors for your case and for your child to be protected and someone start advocating for that child. And they do have ADA advocacies through the state, but you have to meet certain qualifications to get that. But this is one of the things that we have to do before we go to the next step. So this is very okay. important. Uh, Marty, did you have any questions about uh, what to do when you go to the Sheriff's Department? No, I'm just trying to make notes. I'm going to have to go back in and listen to this again so I can get all this down. Go ahead, Peggy. Okay, and then we'll put privileged communication on it because a lot of times um, if we don't put privileged communications on the report, uh, the attorneys can throw it out, you know, and I want to talk a little bit, too, that we need to do is, is uh, called the Social Security Privacy Act. I want people to understand this will affect children and adults. It affects adults if they're receiving their uh, Social Security retirement benefits and if they're a ward of the state. It affects children that's on Social Security, and if they uh, have a settlement, the state always puts them on their SSI. You, you can't get by with this. They do that automatically, okay? So what you want to do is when you're doing a whistleblower complaint, Paris, uh, yours is going to be uh, more of a whistleblower. Um, a whistleblower RICO complaint, okay, that you would be mm -hmm. filing to anybody that's filing a civil complaint, a criminal complaint, RICO, torque, whistleblowers, pharmaceutical, any complaint. This is what you want to do if you are ward of the state or under DCF custody and receiving the retirement, Social Security benefits, or the other uh, SSIs for disabilities they put the children on. You have to do a privacy act. You have to revoke consent because automatically what Social Security will do if they find out that you're doing a lawsuit against a public official, if they'll ask for consent. You never say you won't consent because what they're doing is they're taking collecting evidence that you can use against the state, and then the defense attorney can throw it out because you didn't revoke your consent. And they can use that evidence, Paris, against you, um, and, the, and, and they can't accept it admissible for discovery. They can throw it out. So these are little tricks they use to harm the public. When they know there's a large settlement that they can win, you have to revoke the Privacy Act of the Social Security, uh, Social Security uh, Privacy Act. Uh, that's very important to do. And since you're fixing to do this, we have to get doing that. You know, it's a one-page form uh, that you have to Peggy? write. Yeah. Yes. I have I have several people already queuing me up here. Could you go over that again if, if quickly yes. if you're able to? Yes, please. Okay. 
when you're when you're doing a social uh, when you are under SSI retirement benefits or SSI disability, either one, and you're uh, awarded a state under a DCF case or a guardianship case. Um, what you want to do is you want to revoke your consent. If you don't revoke your consent, what the defense attorney can do if you're suing the state against a public official is they can throw out your um, your evidence. Uh, you can't use that as admissible evidence because they were able to obtain it through a third party. So you so it's very important that uh, Paris their uh, consent and also they also use your bank account, uh, Paris where they will uh, use that against you. So you want to revoke consent to the bank account because they're not, they don't have any business unless they give you official letterhead stating you're under investigation and they have subpoenaed to access your bank account. Don't give consent to do that. They trick you and they ask consents because they bully you. And you want to be very cautious when you're dealing with Social Security because especially okay. when you're dealing with them. Yes. I was going to say, I actually have a comment to make about that as well, because okay. when they appoint the trustee for the original entitlement or settlement, they also are very suggestive in that trustee's bank that you open an account at that bank. And my guess is that that's probably why. They automatically give themselves consent when they do that, and they give themselves consent to the ward when you open yes. that account. Yes, and another yeah. thing they do is when they know like yourself that you are a victim of fraud, they have to do that because of liability against the state. So what they're doing is uh, they would be able to waive any of your uh, evidence that you submit in it. And, and, uh, it's called admissible evidence to the courts. So you have to be very careful to learn the little tricks. Um, so this SSI, the Social Security Privacy Act, is their loophole, Paris, in order to get your case thrown out. You have uh, you have a potential lawsuit as a RICO, it's called, where public officials were involved in your case, doctors, doctors contract with the, the state, and they took your child without doing a, a DCF home study. That's a violation of the policy procedures. That's the first thing that's mandatory for them to do. They have no evidence that you abused that child. They should have never removed the child from your care. Uh, they cannot just give a parent. It doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, you're still married to your spouse. And if you're going through a divorce, they still have to do that home study of both parents' home. And they, they look at how well the child is being cared for. Is the child uh, being uh, medically taken care of educational-wise? They look at your school records of the child. They look at the medical and stuff dental records and stuff. So they, they didn't do any of that with you. So they had no right to just reward full custody over to your husband, ex-husband, yeah. excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what they did. In fact, I was I was begging them actually for investigations the entire time once I figured out what was going on because, like I said, when he left, I had no idea what was even going on. You know, it, it was all so abrupt and so suddenly. But then I realized the further that I got into it, and I know the chain of command in each state, and, and it did make it a little complex because it was multiple states. The, the trust was entitled in one state because that was our original home state, but we had made Texas our home state and had been residents there for two years. And it didn't matter if I had services. I had all the services there for our daughter, and it didn't matter. 
I was literally just not even responded to. In fact, I wasn't responded to by the trustee. I wasn't responded to. Well, I was responded to by the guardian at Lightham initially over the estate, but she was even, um, she was not even engaged in, you know, what I was telling her or asking her, and especially when I started presenting evidence to her that these were not right in the state of Florida of what was happening to me, what was happening to our daughter, she became even less engaged at that point and basically said that, you know, that my former husband had her blessing to go ahead and move the guardianship and do whatever he needed to do for our daughter. So she basically cut herself off from it. So, yeah, there's a lot of players in it in, in all three states. And, and with your case, there's certain steps you must, must follow to make this work. You can't bypass any of these steps. The first step you have to do is pre-have your uh, sworn statement filled out, I mean, you're going to have to do it on their official letterhead, but you know I'm talking about a generic sworn statement with your evidence log, have it all done. Then you take it down there, you get the deputy to swear it in, you get it certified. And then what you have to do is go to your state that you live in and file a Citizens Commission on Human Rights Violation. Once you do that, then what you want to do is to protect your case from being thrown out by the state attorney is do what is called a record custodian notice to preserve documents and electronically stored information. Okay, I'm going to try to write a little sample letter up on my uh, website so people can sort of follow it and stuff because I've already done this. I know it works okay. to protect your case, but don't do that until you do these two first steps I told you to do. Okay. Okay. So the first then, one was to revoke your consent against the public or against the public officials, right? Right. And, you know, uh, what you have to do with that Social Security Privacy Act to keep the public officials from being able to see, this is, this is a loophole. Social Security Privacy Act, what they can do is they can take your computer laptop, extract all your information from it, okay, and get most people store their information on their laptops, okay? You're giving consent for a third party. This is investigation. They can use all information electronically stored and uh, and preserve your documents. They could take that, and then when it comes time for deposition, when you're trying to enter all your evidence as admissible evidence, the opposing party can throw it out because you gave consent to the Privacy Act through Social Security, and you don't have a case. You're done. You see? So... What you have to do is you turn around on them, Paris, and do your Privacy Act and uh, revoke authorization for consent. You have to do two things. This is important for this to work. You have to revoke bank access, and you have to revoke the Privacy Act. These are two things, and you have to put it like that in there. And you have to send it certified mail to the headquarters of SSI. You have to have the, the person's name, uh, case number, and date of birth, social security number, and that you're the payee. you got to be party of the action to file this. If you're not, then you have to go to a licensed attorney and have this done. But you can do this, Paris, because you're the parent. Okay. So, so that, that. Was, let, me, let me get that from you again. So to send to SSI, it has to have the name, date of birth, 
Social Security. And, sorry, what else was it? Social Security Social number? Security. Yes. So you want to do that. You want to give, give them as much information so they can identify the person, and then you write this. And you have to revoke okay. it. Because if you don't, what they're doing is um, they're going to take that information if you consent. Now, uh, they can go ahead. A lot of people don't understand this, Paris. A lot of people don't have to give consent for them to do this. They can automatically do this. A lot of people don't understand. You have to revoke consent. Okay. So you want to do this because you're facing going into lit uh, litigation. Okay. And you also want to put privilege uh, communication. That way the state attorney can't throw it out. Okay. And then to revoke the bank consent, how is that done? Okay, you have to put uh, authorized and consent revoked to access my bank account, daughter's account, okay. and then you want to revoke consent of the Social Security a Privacy Act. Okay. okay. And then once we uh, you're done with that, have that finished. Okay. Okay, what I'm going to be doing is right now, tonight, after the show, uh, I'm going to be listing all Social Security stuff, and I'm going, to have, uh, I'm going to have a template up. So all you would have to do is put in the certain basic things, like four or five different things, but you have to type up mm -hmm. your own complaint, but I'm going to outline it to help people. So it's going to have uh, record custodian, notice of preserved documents, and electronic stored information. But don't do that to tip them off until you do the other two things. Because if they know what you're up to, then they're going to start uh, getting as much information as they can. So, you know, be cautious with that. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, we're not going to go, we're, we're going to do another episode because I don't want to get too into different steps because it can confuse people. Uh, you know, I know I need to do a template of this record custodian notice to preserve documents for the Social Security Privacy Act. That needs I need to get that done so people can understand how to protect yourselves. Uh, because if you don't do this, uh, your chances of winning a lawsuit is very slim. That's how a lot of people, 90% uh, or maybe more, I haven't really did the data research or the statistics, but a lot of people lose their whistleblower right here. Wow. This is a 100% ticket for the criminal defense attorney to use against you. This is normally what they do to uh, the state does to uh, dismiss a uh, uh, summary judgment on a case cases. That is just unbelievably sneaky to me. You know, that should be in discovery. Trust me, they do it. Oh, I know. I've, I've learned a lot of sneaky stuff that they have done, and. It, you know, like I said, I, I would have never guessed 
and after going through all of this, I just felt like, oh my gosh, like everybody, like the whole system's against me, but I can see, I can see how it's working. It's a well-oiled wheel that is set up in that manner that it's, it's, you know, it's a system that funds itself. You can have the best case out there, Paris, but if you don't know the system and how to properly file papers, and, and the attorneys are all licensed. They all know how to do this. But you know what they do? They go behind this. Uh, they meet together, the plaintiff, the defense attorney, and they decide who's going to win before the hearing even takes place. Whoever has the most money wins. This is sad. But if you know their mm-hmm. dirty secrets, you can confront them or you can protect yourself and do this stuff yourself so they can't do this. And you can object. Uh, and, and, you know, especially uh, – say that you didn't uh, waive your rights to your child. That's critical when you have a child that has uh, medical issues and you try to knock yourself back into family court and get out of the guardianship. So they have to give you a jury trial because the fraud upon the courts. And you have to file motions. And let me tell you, I did a motion of fraud upon the court, and these judges were uh, trying to, uh, they tried to place me in prison for that for speaking the truth. So they don't like people that speak the truth, but you have to stand up and tell your story mm-hmm. what's taking place in these scams. DCF is doing to st- steal settlements and places these people in guardianships so they don't have to give the money back or the person if you don't know how to fight back. Yeah, I've learned just how vindictive that judges can be and things that have happened to me in the family court as well as both guardianship courts. It was just, it was insane. Thank God I had witnesses even in the guardianship court. I have two witnesses that were there with me. You have to understand something, too. A lot of these judges, what they do is they have family members or or, uh, husbands and wives, and they have uh, shares in these hospitals and medical centers. And say if you just uh, want a, a large settlement and this judge has uh, interest, uh, shares in this facility, you, you know they're going to uh, take your child immediately because it will take away from their, their income. So we need to have open policies where judges have to show where they have shares at. You know, they only have to show right now if, you, if somebody gives you campaign money, but we need to extend it much further to expose the corruptions. That, like I always told Marty on her shows, the doctors are the first ones that commits the first act against the ward with the depositions. Second, it's the attorneys that file the fraudulent uh, depositions to the courts, and it's the judge that seals the deal. So we have to focus on these three parties. Yeah, and and the and the doctor was the one who really did a lot of dirty work. So, and another thing I well, need to emphasize. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say you've seen my information, and I think you could probably tell that the doctor did a dirty number. So, that's all I'm going to say about that. And another thing uh, that you need to uh, focus on is called litigation hold. If you go to court, say you get a subpoena next week. You know, we're in the middle of working on something. You know what we're doing, Paris. But say you have mm-hmm. a subpoena and you have to go to court. The first thing you object, you want to say you object to the uh, the hearing, fraud upon the court, and then you say you want to place all your evidence in a litigation hold. 
You have your law. You have, well, you have to enter in. You do your proposed order and petition, your motion directing the judge. When you do your exhibits, the first thing you want to do is object, of course. Uh, you didn't waive your rights to your child, and then you want to do the litigation hold. You have to say that at the end, in the beginning of your introduction of the hearings, so the judge will grant you. And what that does is that for, that protects your evidence for the state attorney that has to look at this. The state attorneys don't like people to know to do this because then they have to do their job, okay? Uh, they got mad at me because I did litigation holding all my evidence so they can't throw it out. But the opposing party was breaching confidential information and was getting inside the file, which they can't throw it out anyway. So that this shows more fraud when they do that. So you can use more felony counts against them when they do that. So you just have to know how to play the game. Yeah, it's Does anybody very have any questions? Paris, Marty? Yeah, yes. I was just going to say, it's, it's, it's all very intimidating, especially to some, you know, when you're going through a trauma situation like that, and, and it's, it's already, you know, just smacked you beside the head because you're not prepared, you're not even prepared for it. I wasn't prepared for any of this. But then to have the entire system to do this and not knowing what you're doing and have the doctor to turn against you, having, you know, been, been the primary contact with that doctor since the child was 18 months old and, the, you know, and to have him to do that and then to have the attorneys and the judges, it's an absolute nightmare. And then trying to try, you know, trying to find a lawyer and the lawyer turns against you and just trying to find lawyers and then when nobody takes your case and you're trying to do immersion learning of all this stuff and it's like nothing is is documented i mean i was put in timeout on zoom hearings it, it's just i could write books and books and books of stuff that have happened and i know peggy that there is a lot of stuff that went on behind the scenes because i see the time and date stamps of things that were that were you know were um where my former husband had gotten things notarized and I thought, well, I never got anything from the court during that time period. So things were being filed on the docket that I didn't even know about. So how much of this stuff has been filed, you know, that, that wasn't necessarily even part of the, the initial ex parte, which I'm assuming happened since they went to get legal aid at a family shelter. And I was never confronted or talked to by DCFS Paris. or anyone. There was never an investigation or anything. It's my Paris, you'll never get you'll never get contacted because I was just talking to you a, a little bit ago about protective order. What they do yes. is under the protective order, if they are saying you're the abuser, they're not going to contact you. They are going to have what is called a protective order hearings where the uh, your hus ex husband uh, will go with his attorney to the judge, and they were with DCF, and they were asked this uh, hearing to be uh, placed under protective order so you're not notified, okay? So say the next time you get a hearing, your attorney already knew about the protective order because they notify the attorney, but the attorney cannot disclose that with you because it is a protective order, Paris. But shouldn't there be a – when there is a protective order, in my mind – there should automatically be an investigation by the state that is being filed in. That way, you can't just have people spouting hearsay. People get angry with people all the time, 
it, husbands and wives get angry at each other all the time and spout stuff off. Exactly. And so this, this is serious. I mean, this is, this is literally, it's destroyed me. It, it, See, this it, is why DCF needs to be abolished because they don't follow yes. their own rules, regulations, their story. Now, DCF yes. is not even allowed to enter their reports in unless I told you. Remember, it, ha- it depends on the year now. It had to either be the inspector attorney general that wrote the because they have the funds to investigate. Their investors, investigators go out and they pull all these records. They go back in and the, the, the investigator of the inspector attorney general, they sign off. That district gets that report, okay, to DCF, uh, you know, uh, supporting the DCF uh, report of probable cause. Then it goes to the administration clerk of court. And then that's when they have the protective order in place. So you don't get your due process, and it's wrong to do that because they should have to do this, the home study. See, DCF, once the investigation starts with the inspector general or the sheriff's department, they're doing their stuff. But in the meantime, DCF social worker is supposed to be doing with her uh, head, uh, head, the headquarters, is a home study on both parents. And that's where they violated your rights. They just bypassed that and did a protective order. And uh, right. that's why you right. need and to not do. Only, not only that, they allowed him to go out of state, you know, instead of putting a hold, he was he was allowed to actually go out of state and probably funded to go out of state from, you know, some of the notary things that I'm seeing. So when they had the, the, the notice for probable cause, isn't that an intent of, Stating a criminal activity shouldn't that have been investigated in and of itself right there? If somebody's saying there's probable cause for something, that's criminal activity, isn't it? Exactly. Not- and that's what I'm telling you. Either that you have to get a copy before you go down to the sheriff's department. You have to, depending on the year, because this has been going on for several years now, Paris. You have to look at mm-hmm. it. if it's 2016 through uh, 2019, you go to the inspector general. You request that investigation report. They have to give it to you. Uh, if it's past uh, tw- uh, 2019 to 2022, you go to the Sheriff's Department and you ask for that investigation report. Okay, that you want to attach to your evidence when you go in and file that with the Sheriff's Department. Because remember, this is important to do before we do this, uh, uh, the uh, civil human rights uh, complaint. So you want to make okay, sure so that I you contact a- these people. Yeah, I have a, okay, so I have a couple of questions. So when... Um, I'm trying to think of what you just said because I had a couple of questions that I wanted to ask. So when when you do this, um, when you're talking, let's go back to when you were talking about between 2016 and was it, I'm sorry, 2019? Is that what it was for the Office of Inspector General? So that would have been the time period that he left the state of Texas and filed with the – you know, filed with the the shelter or whatever, and then the children were taken to another state. This all happened in May of 2017 that he left from Texas and went to Florida. So that would fall okay. under the Office of Inspector General. Is that right? Yes. You would do uh, okay. May the 17th. Uh, you go yes. to the Inspector General, you ask for um, a report of abuse that's filed against you, give your name, date of birth, social security number, and uh, request uh, them provide that to you. You'll take that to the sheriff's department, 
and uh, you have to you have to go local before you go federal, okay? So you okay, have to go so to, even be, though they're going to tell you, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Just So this would be in the state that the activity originated in. Because I know I have Correct. other people that are listening. I have other parents that are listening yeah. that have also dealt, dealt with, we'll call them runners. And so I know that there are other parents out there that are going to ask this, and they're probably, you know, they're going to send me emails and find. So I just want to clarify that between those time periods, it would be Office of Inspector General, and then it would be in the state that it, the, act, the original activity originated in, where it would be filed at the shelter or, or whatever authority. Correct. Crimes the first started at, they have jurisdiction to investigate. Okay. Now, that well, doesn't that mean that other states won't investigate this, okay? That just means yeah. they're the lead investigators because if it crosses state lines, then it's considered interstate commerce. Then it falls mm. in a whole different ball game, and that's what we want because we want to take it to the federal level and get it out of local jurisdiction because every time you talk to law enforcement, they'll say, well, ma'am or sir, this is a civil action. They don't want to get involved in DCF and guardianship case because it is a conflict of interest. Now it is because the law enforcement, the sheriff's department, investigates for DCF. So now you've got to go to the federal level to get away from them because it's a conflict of interest. Now, isn't that something if you were to contact the DHHS uh, division or the oversight division in that particular state, isn't that something that they should disclose to a parent? They don't have to do that, and I think they should. Yeah, I think so, too, because had I known that, I could have contacted the Office of – now, I'm going to go back up and say I have contacted the Office of Inspector General in both states, but when I contacted them the first time, I never knew to ask for that document. So now that I know to ask for that document, it sheds a whole new light on the story, I did contact DHHS and did not get a favorable response from that division or the oversight division, in fact. So, um, yeah, they don't keep the but reports I there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were not nice at all about it. They sure, weren't. because they can get sued. They're not going to be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, they knew that I knew, but I guess I just didn't. I knew who to call but I didn't know what to ask for. So asking for this report of alleged abuse or this probable cause even. I have another question. So when this probable cause is done, don't they have to contact the sheriff, the police? And shouldn't there be a report that's done for probable cause that is with one of those agencies? It would be sheriff like the sheriff, the police, or with the prosecuting attorney? Because it's the prosecuting attorney, is it not, that has to sign off on an ex parte? Okay, normally the way they work is, depending on the year this happened, okay, the inspector attorney general will write the, the investigation report. They have law enforcement that works with them. They write the report. The investigator sends it back to DCF-supported probable cause. They submit it back to the administration clerk of court. Uh, supporting that, uh, and then they do uh, appoint attorney for the child. If they have any kind of medical disabilities, that attorney appointed goes to court with opposing attorney and DCF. You do not get invited in because the way they have to do it to to um, to conceal this is they do it under protective order. 
So they are saying, you're the abuser. You're not going to get invited. They already investigated, and, you know, and they violated your rights because DCF, remember, does confidential nondisclosure. So you wouldn't have gotten their information on how they uh, did their findings, which I think should be illegal. That should be the first thing they have to disclose. But the way they do it to get by with it is they put the child under protective order in order not to disclose that. If that makes sense to you, you can look this yeah, up. It makes, when you get yeah, it makes absolute sense. I've actually worked in foster care and I was a CASA advocate, so it makes absolute sense that it's wrong because one party or the other is always going to lose due process. And even the child exactly. loses due process. And that is wrong. Well, when you do something crappy like that, they should automatically have, I'm sorry, but they should, if they have probable cause, they need to have a jury trial in that state right then and there and have discovery of both cases. Because when nobody's investigated, this can drag out like it has for me. It's going on five years now. My child is suffering immensely at the hands of all these people, and now she's just been signed over to the state, and, you know, there's no recourse. These people are like a, a cult of demons. That okay, let me take it to no another stage. Okay, let me take it to another end. I want you to really listen to what I'm saying, okay? I'm going to okay. take it to the next step. Okay, after they do the protective order, you know, they they violate the AD Act violation. Okay, each county is supposed to have a um, coordinator. And what you do is you submit your complaint uh, to the coordinator that you need assistance. Now, all they do there, and they violate their own AD Act, they, uh, they say, well, we only accommodate two things, basic, well, three, impairment, uh, wheelchair accessibility, if you need any, um, and uh, if you're blind, you know, they'll, they'll give you a, a board, a special board, if you're blind. But they don't do it if, say, the person has suffered a brain injury and needing assistance with a DA, uh, um, a DA, uh, ADA attorney. Now, see, the state gets federal money, okay? And each county, there's supposed to be an attorney that represents that person. They're defrauding money. A lot of people don't understand that uh, you're supposed to be able to request that if a person is injured and they need that assistance. But they only want to accommodate you on those three. Now, let me tell you a little loophole. Let's say your child was blind. Okay, they go in, you do all the paperwork, and you do your ADX. Okay, well, the, um, the attorney appointed for the child will oppose it because they'll say, okay, we're not going to let the doctor testify if you want to do Skype or you want to have any other expert testify because all parties have to consent. Now, they don't give you the right when they do that. See, these attorneys every day, these appointed attorneys for the wards, they consent and do Skype every day. They do telephone. It's bias and prejudice from the very get-go. You're going to lose if you don't know how to work the system. So you need to learn this stuff and learn what to say and when to file it. It's important. Yeah, I can see that because otherwise you get railroaded. And, you know, just like me, I knew a little bit that even with what I knew and what I, you know, what I, the areas that I worked in, I, they railroaded me. And I knew that there was stuff going on behind the scenes. I just 
there's no way I can do anything about it. Even if, even though the attorneys, I did contact attorneys, and I had attorneys who told me, look, if they're in another state, there's absolutely nothing you will ever be able to do. They're lost. They're gone. Consider well, just write them off. This is what attorneys, well, this is what attorneys were telling me. I mean, it, it, when you've got a trial like that, and that's something I learned, too, when you're talking about ADA, they reference. And because I actually did call um, the the D.C. Uh, headquarters for ADA, and I called the state ADA in the state of Florida as well, and spoke with someone there, had a case study, or I had a, a case open there. But what they referenced to are the physical disabilities. Just like you said, they only want exactly. to make reference to wheelchair. They only want to make reference to um, an impairment like, you know, someone being deaf or something of that nature, but there's, there's nothing else. And once, once you go through family court and they give the other person any kind of custody, like for the sole custody, what I found out is basically they don't have to do a TPA. They, they don't have to do that at all because once they give that person sole custody, I found out that I no longer had any rights at that point either, even even though I can prove and have evidence of everything that I have and everything that I've done and, and documentation of it, it did not matter because at that point when that judge, you know, issued that order based on dirty hands doctrine and gave my former husband full custody of our daughter, I could not file a medical malpractice. I could not file a legal malpractice. I couldn't even file an investigation on anything. If I had not started the investigations that I disclosed to you already prior to that, I would have never been able to file them. And they're just sitting there. They haven't been closed, but I can't get any response because the cases are closed and going through probate. It is a scary, crazy situation, and to just sit back and know that you can't do anything. I mean, you have to know what you're doing, and there's so much, Peggy, that people need to learn. First and foremost, people need to start telling their stories. We have to stop nitpicking. Well, they'll guide you through that. So what you need to do after that. See, the thing is, you won't see these attorneys, these organizations that get federal funding, Paris, to represent yeah. people in ADX violations or the uh, the uh, Citizens Commissions on Human Rights, but you have to have the certain elements in place in order to get these services. DCF does not want parents to know this, the, these services are available to the public, you know, uh, and that's why I'm sharing this information because there's so many children out there taken from homes that should never have been taken from loving and good good parents taking care of their children, they end up getting raped, tortured, killed, uh, human sex trafficking, it's got to stop. So, you know, uh, when you're doing this um, this um, AD Act and the DCF violates the TPA, taking away your rights as a parent, uh, what happens is the, uh, the Citizens Commissions on Human Rights is really big on this. They fight for parents that's had their, uh, their rights taken away from them if their child's been injured by any kind of uh, pharmaceutical injuries and stuff. 
So if any parents is out there listening and this applies to you, take advantage of it. You deserve it. Yeah. Now I have a question also. When a child, because before I actually got the entitlement for our daughter for her vaccine injury, um, you know, we had to utilize the SSDI for our daughter, obviously, because it's a lot of, you know, you, you have to. It's a lot of money. I'll you understand. Know, child. So my question is, is when that child starts receiving SSDI, is there somewhere in the back room there that this child is labeled as a ward of the state since it's paid SSDI? Well, what happens is uh, things. Uh, if uh, well, yeah. If there's a settlement, if you're, if there's a, if a public official injures the child, their target, okay, to be placed, or if they know that you're fixing to litigate that child or that adult is a target to be placed automatically, because the state has to protect themselves from liability. Okay, that's why they set up the DCF trust fund. So they know they're going to be taking your settlement that your daughter won from her injury, and they're just going to go. Uh, it, it's like um, a wheel. It just re- the money just circles back into the system again. So uh, and you know they do, don't have to give you that money back if you don't know what you're doing in litigation. These attorneys in um, personal injury cases they know how to do this, but you can talk to them blue in the face. Two things I've learned when talking to uh, hundreds and hundreds of attorneys, they don't get involved in DCF cases if the child's uh, injured or guardianship. So you got a problem there. So this is why I'm telling you, you have to go around and find your loopholes into the system. And the way you do it is the AD Act violations with attorneys that get federal grants to advocate for the adult and child. It doesn't have to be necessarily a child. And the uh, Citizens Commissions on Human Rights is real big on this. And uh, if you're a child or adult and you're injured from a pharmaceutical, you can use those attorneys if you fill out the paperwork correctly. So this is why I'm guiding you on how to do this so you don't you get assistance. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I was just curious because I know when a child – it seems like when a child or an adult applies for SSDI, mm-hmm. it's like they become property of the state. You know, whether it's a written that they have some kind of inclusive language in there somewhere that that person's made of the state, you know, a, a ward of the state somehow. Because they, is it because they have an impairment or a physical disability that they, you know, that that. Normally, when a child is labeled that, they normally do not interfere, like I'm telling you. They normally do not interfere in the parent's rights to raise their child or adult unless they're suing the state or a hospital that contracts with the state, Paris. You have to learn the little loopholes. Then that child becomes a target or adult becomes a target for the state because they know they have to remove that person from your care because you are going to win a large amount of money in order for them to try to see a lot of people don't understand if you when they have custody and they strive they, they take they terminate your parents rights they terminate your guardianship rights parents you cannot sue on behalf of your child now are you following me so they secure the settlement through the DCF trust fund so they're protected 
So that's why they have yeah, to do I this. Actually, and this is why we have to go to the loopholes to correct what they committed fraud. Yeah, I even, I actually experienced that or knew that that was happening in the family court hearing when just my my former husband getting sole custody all those and in fact i'm going to even back up prior to that after he left and i didn't even know what was going on yet they realistically the attorney at litem over the estate and the trustee and the doctor all violated my rights and even violated my daughter's rights because they would not allow me to continue care. I had continuity of care for 14 years of her life. And I have, I have documentation that I had continuity of care for 14 years of her life. I was on a payroll for that. And so when they, even the unspoken by them just not responding to me, having been the primary contact with me, and then going through the court and the court documenting it, even prior by just sole custody, they can cut you off right there. They don't have to respond to anything, and especially if they're in another state because they've claimed jurisdiction. Exactly. Once that child's in protective uh, uh, custody, they don't have to. And another thing I want to back up a minute is mm-hmm. when you're arriving to the, um, to the uh, inspector general or the sheriff's department, this is important to, to notify. Okay, if a social services commits perjury in a testimony or, or enters fraudulent evidence in, what you have to do is follow, uh, find out, file a complaint with the inspector general. The inspector general is still over DCF, okay, for complaints on a public official, okay? So that's something you need to note, Paris. Inspect, inspector attorney general it's over complaints of a DCF social worker. So if you have evidence of forgery, perjury, and testimonies, or if that social services entered uh, fraudulent evidence in that got your child taken away, uh, you need to put that in. And then you also need to request from the inspector general the report from the uh, director of uh, Department of Children and Family, her findings. This would be in the state of origination, correct? That is correct, where the crime start, uh, took place at. Okay. That's important to make notes. So what happens in a situation, so what I have to do is I have to go back to the state of origination and I have to request that in that specific order. And so how, do, how does that affect... Or do they do an investigation? Do we have to wait on their findings before we pursue anything in the state where the crime is now being occurred at? How does that work? When the crime took place, they had to do their investigation to support probable cause of removing the child. That's already been done. All you're doing is asking (laughs) for that information. Okay. But if you did not file with the inspector attorney general against a public official, uh, it does not matter. I want people to make another note of this. If a child or adult is institutionalized under the ADA Act, it's, it pulls your statute of limitation. What that means is you can file a lawsuit because the child is still in, is still being institutionalized or the adult. So you can still file your lawsuit. Okay, that's important. 
Okay, so it eliminates statute of limitations. Is that what I'm hearing, or yes, is there still a time? Filed under ADA Act and they're institutionalized. They can fall mm-hmm. under that. You just got to have a court order where they take your they they took the parents' rights and they institutionalize the person. Now that can mean several things. It could be foster care because it was done fraudulently. Because um, normally when they take a child, it's normally they have like five different behavioral groups of mental facilities they put the child in. Uh, they put them in a mental hospital or they put them in a mental prison. They have different ones, okay? You just got to figure out which one they place the child in or the adult in and put that in your complaint. Right, and that's another situation, too, that I've been talking with a lot of parents as well, because in my situation, my daughter was a minor when she was taken. She was mentally and physically incapacitated, but she has gone into emancipation since then. And, okay, you know, so you now she's labeled as an adult. A minor. You would still fall under when she was a minor because the crimes occurred okay. when she was a minor. Remember that. That's basically family court. You always want to throw yourself in family court. Gotcha. Okay, because I know that there's a lot of parents that's going to ask me that because I have a lot of a lot of parents who are in a similar situation. Say so we revert back to when the, the the when the crime occurred, and that was when they were a minor. So that's what we need to revert to. Right, because the judge is going to ask you. This is another thing the judge will ask you, uh, Paris. Do you waive your rights to your child? Because she's 18. You say no. The reason you say no, I don't care if she's 30 years old, 18, 20. You say no because you want to put it back into the family court. So as long as the crime occurred when she was a minor, it falls under family court, not guardianship. So they're going to have to have this hearing in the family court because it was all fraudulently done. DCF didn't do a home study. you got to see even if they did an investigation. you got to get the report. You don't even know if they did that. We have to find that information out. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for clarifying that. No problem. It's insane. It's no wonder it's so difficult to do anything in this, you know, because how do people know this? Where where do well, where do parents go to, to find this information? And once they find it, I mean, from what I've dealt with, there have been things that I have filed and motions I filed and procedural rules when I'm sitting there watching the judges and the lawyers and everyone else breaking those rules, and essentially there's been no oversight. They just sort of laugh about it and say, well, it's the day at the office and they move forward, you know, and they suggest well, that you move forward too. To answer your to answer your question about where do you find this information, I, you know I was a former DCF worker. Uh, I worked yes. in uh, Department of Revenue uh, Services. I've worked in many different government uh Agency, so I know policy and procedures back of my hand. So uh, you have to find someone that understands policy and procedures, or you have to go to somebody that is a licensed attorney to help litigate this case for you and to guide you through this. But most of the times I've found that when victims, the children are taken away from settlements, they liquidate the parents' as assets. So they they strip them from their financial funds so they can't afford an attorney, and that is why they end up winning 
the, uh, the opposing parent wins because they are the ones that has the money. DCF always puts the child with the, the parent that has less interest in the child's welfare. It always is like that. It shouldn't be, but it is because they do that because that, that, that parent that has less interest in the child, they know that they won't fight back or they won't question the services they build for that child or adult. True, and that's true in every case that, of every parent that I have spoken with as well, every case without fail. And the, and the reason we started this USA Guardianship Task Force is we're, I'm a victim. Uh, I had my parents' rights taken, and my case is under investigation. Um, you know, my son was kidnapped and taken from North Carolina into Florida. It's a breeding ground, and uh, they didn't follow policy and procedures. Betty Gosnell is the same way her, her child, her, her son, excuse me, was taken and kidnapped and put in a fraudulent guardianship. And we've not seen either one of our sons for many years. There's a lot of corruption going on in Florida. And it's like I've had so many parents like you, Paris, contact USA Guardianship Task Force telling us the same stories over and over, the same MO, what DCF is doing to parents. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we, and thankfully we have someone, we have you guys to go to now because before it's just, you know, you go from literally one organization or whatever to another and we're all sort of trying to navigate to find out exactly what to do because no one, well, it's difficult, I'm going to say. It's difficult to find someone that knows that policy and procedure and then, you know, in, in your own personal situation, you've experienced it yourself. So you, you know that frustration and, and you know what's happening and you are still sitting there even knowing the policy procedure and and how to do things, you're still sitting there and not knowing where your son's at. Exactly, because I have to like, this is a bigger picture, Paris, I look at when I realized what they did to my son and then I, Betty Gosnell told me what they did to her son and then I started having all these parents, including yourself, this victim. I realized that there's a need for this service. And since I worked for DCF for many, many years, I know the ins and outs. You know, I told Betty, we need to start a business to help other parents navigate through this because attorneys are not doing this for the parents. So we started this business, and we specialize on two things. We specialize in DCF cases, and we specialize in guardianship cases because now – in 2019, the DOJ went to every state and had the governors of every state sign executive order allowing DCF to be over guardianship case. DCF was already proven by Na Senator Nancy Schaefer that um, Department of Children and Family uh, Services and Protective Services is a racketeering ring. All these children have been murdered, killed, human sex trafficking, human organ trafficking, and God knows what else. And and they only give them sanctions. This is not acceptable, uh, Paris. This is why I'm doing that petition to Congress to abolish the commission codes on DCF and the guardianship. I'm working on what is the best alternative to keep the public safe. That's what we have to focus on because we as victims don't have an agency that we can go to and get assistance. So that's why we started working our business because I know the ins and outs of the policies and procedures. I'm working with some senators and hoping that they'll do an HR bill to abolish this. And that's why I'm doing the, the petition to Congress myself, because if they don't do it, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do it myself because it has to be done because I don't believe that no man, no woman or child should be owned by their their state they live in. This is unconstitutional, Paris. What they're doing. Yeah, and people should also realize, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize as well that DCF is not just over children and families, but adult protective services as well. So that pulls in the elderly too. And exactly. I don't think a lot of people do that. Protective services, exactly. And, you yeah. know, they have to go through Inspector General. So the Inspector General does investigate uh, social services and protective investigators. Uh, and those are the people you want to contact. If you have not received the investigator report uh, and you don't know their name, you'll have to go through the Inspector Attorney General. Like I said, if it was done uh, after 2019, you'll go to the Sheriff's Department. In every state, you'll have to find out, you know, who your Inspector General is. You can Google it online. It'll give you their name and information. You just write the letter to them. And you always want to make sure it's certified so you have proof that you did submit the request in. Yeah, it's amazing the documentation that you have to do, and and I learned I think it was from uh, from Betty Gosnell about you know asking people to make sure that you keep all of your envelopes that you receive from any of these agencies that you know that have the time and date stamps and all the information on them. I have boxes of envelopes that have come with my documents, and I saved every one of them just because I'm a pack rat. So well, you know you want to hear that, Paris. Hmm. Why, why Daddy Gossel told you that is if you can prove that, you know, uh, you were receiving interstate co uh, mail from other states, you can use that in a RICO case. You know, if you were getting mm -hmm. correspondence, like if you live in North Carolina and you're getting correspondence from Florida, that's considered interstate uh, commerce, and it's uh, mail fraud. They're committing mail fraud by sending you that that letter because they know it's fraud to begin with, and you can use that as a predicate act in your case. That's interesting. Yeah, so I have a I have a couple of different states that I have mail from. Like I said, that's good to yeah, know. I had no plan. idea. Yes, and I also study the RICO laws too. If anybody's interested in knowing anything, yeah, absolutely. I, I think anything. Yeah, anything, and I'll share yeah. it on the blog too, and share it with the other parents that I have because I know there's still a lot of people out there. A lot of parents fighting the same battle, and because of the coercive tactics and the coercion that they use in courts and the judges and, and just everybody involved, that they don't want people to speak out, that people really need to understand, just speak the truth. We don't have to get all bad about it and, and you know, be defamatory or anything. Like, yeah, we don't have to be defamatory or anything like that. We just really need to speak the truth and say, look, these are things we need to discuss because otherwise if we don't and, and if, if, if the guardianships, conservatorships, and, and all these other controlling trafficking slavery terms, which is what they are, if we don't abolish those things, every man, woman, child of every single age, I don't care if you're an infant or you're an elderly person, you can, you can have those labels put on you. And it doesn't matter about family, and it doesn't matter how much money family has. I know families that have a lot of money that their family members are tied up in guardianships, and they can't even see their loved ones. 
And so it doesn't matter the amount of money because everybody says, I'll work three or four jobs or whatever. It doesn't matter. These terms have to go because these are inanimate terms. They are not a person. They're not, they're, they're not a human being. They're not a man or a woman or a, a child. You know, well, they're, they're not a son or a daughter. Yeah, that's why they put it in all caps because you're owned by the state. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, a piece of property. You become collateral. You become uh, the children become cattle. That's one thing I, I told my former husband. Our child has been made child when she was taken into the court. You know, why do we want to do this? My child is not a piece of property, but she's being exactly. traded. She's and, been trafficked. And, and what's sad with DCF is the most important thing is the child or the adult best interest and all they care about is the money end of it not the child or the adult that they took from the from their families never to be seen again it's very it's so wrong in so many different levels and by you standing up and me standing up and marty along me and betty to go on these shows and expose the dirty secrets people can uh stand up you can be professional you don't have to be violent you can make your point and that's what we need to do. We need to say, you know, we're not going to tolerate this. We are demanding change. We need to abolish the guardianships and DCF, and we need to put amendments in our Constitution that our government can never write any legislation ever again to do in any in label any programs to own elderly anyone, man, woman, or child. Uh, we have to stop this because you know history repeats itself, like they did in the eighteen hundred. Only owning people. This is, you can't, we got to stand up. Martha Luther King set up, and uh, I'm very inspired with him. And we are in the era now where we have to be like him and stand up for our civil rights and demand that we won't be owned by our government. A lot of people I spoke to, Paris, don't even know what a guardianship is. I've t- spoke to hundreds and hundreds of people until you fall in this trap and they kept it and they take you as a prisoner and kidnap you and steal your estate, embezzle your uh, your bank account. I mean, they did steal everything. I mean, you just, I'm just like blown away. They stole my home, extortions, forgeries. It's like what happened to your child happened to me. But you know what? We have to think positive, and we have to learn how these criminals operate in order to defeat them. And we can do it if we all work together, but we have to abolish these guardianships. And we're hoping that when this petition comes out in the next week or so, Marty, uh, if you know anybody, if anybody's out there listening that knows anyone that owns billboard signs, we really need to get this advertised, this uh, petition to Congress, because we have to have 100,000 signatures to demand President Joe Biden force the, we, we'll be forced to be put on, we'll force them to put us on the ballot. So we really need a lot of exposure once I get this petition out. You know, uh, it's very important because we're, I'm writing this petition, and it's stating that we, the people, will not be owned in these guardianships. It doesn't matter if they reclassified the guardianships to support decision-making. It's still the same program. It's still the same federal funding. It's still the same players involved in these uh, racketeering enterprises and these guardianships that has to be abolished. We have rights to be free from our government, and we need to exercise our rights. One thing I was um, 
I'm glad to hear you mention because we've heard it on several other topics. And, of course, there's always the naysayers that come out and go, oh, that's conspiracy theory stuff. Is the capitalization of your name signifies you have suffered a civil death, at which point you have no rights, you have no protections, you have no right to your own name. And uh, they bring you into these tribunals, which are not courts of law. Uh, DCF, the children and families, these are tribunals here, not courts of law. And they run by their own rules. They are corrupt as can be. But you're exactly right. It is a sign of legal ownership. You lose human capacity, your legal capacity as a human being. You lose legal agency, your right to conduct your own business. And they just, my, I've had several people who are kind of scholarly on this stuff say, it's just like, let me say it like this. If you receive something from an administrative court, which is not an Article Three constitutionally constructed court, it is a special tribunal. And uh-huh. there's a whole different set of laws for for administrative courts than there is for courts of law. You aren't dealing with law. You're dealing with statute and code. And that once you get into this system, if you get something from an administrative court, it'll be in all capital letters. The state will be, be say, the state of, let's say, Arizona will all be capitalized. Everything will be capitalized. But if you get something from a state court, like the Superior Court or the state of Minnesota, you know, civil court, whatever it is, it'll all be spelled correctly, capital letter followed by lowercase, even your name. But that titling and how that's printed out is a public signal to you that you have lost legal capacity. You are a ward of the state. Ward is interpreted to mean prisoner. A ward is a prisoner. If people want to also confirm this, you can look in the legal dictionary. It does state that. And also, another thing to verify this, if you look at your court orders, of the board and the guardianship is all caps. So please pay yep. attention to that. This is all true. Yep. And, you know, and, and I already got a message here. You know, that's um, uh, some of that sovereign citizen stuff. No, it isn't. This is a matter of no. law. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, this has is. nothing to do with sovereign citizen. Uh, this is a matter no. of law. Once you accept that designation of all capitalized, um, this has been used since back in the Roman days. And when you capitalized someone's name fully, it was a signal to everyone else that that person was a slave. And you and there was a loss of, of civil uh, rights, you know, whatever the law was at that time there. You couldn't access the law because you had been declared a slave. It's just like these masks. The way that the reason the psychology behind wearing the mask is a signal that you accepted your slavery. And they talked about this extensively at the CDC. But anyway, that aside, this is not conspiracy theory. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. And another way to prove the facts is a judge, in order for her to be able to do a ruling to institutionalize you, she has to have custody of you. In order to have custody of you, you have to be made a ward of that state as a prisoner, or she cannot make any ruling. It's all by law, and you can look this up. It states that. This is laws. These are not conspiracy theories of sovereignty citizens. It states that in the law. I'm already getting stuff here. This is some of that left wing. No, this isn't politics. 
uh, no. stuff your left, right versus because I, I don't get into that. I'm a political atheist. I don't care what side you're on. And uh, Me neither. But, yeah, and I always tell them if their mouth's open and sound's coming out, they're lying, and they generally are. But anytime guardianship or custody is taken of an individual, they have become a prisoner. These are hostage situations. And one person, sometimes more if it's a family deal, are being held hostage, and they are extorting the family. And they are doing it using the tribunal setting so that you have no rights. You cannot access the law. You cannot even get out of these tribunals and into a civil or criminal court without extensive suing. The Supreme Court of the United States will not hear any of these cases. They said but yet anything they that is of money from the guardianship yeah. federal funds. I don't understand yeah. how they can do that. Yeah. Well, the, the, what they said was because it is in rim, meaning in motion, in the state, it is under the property and control of the property. Do you understand that? Property and control of the state. And, well, I'm talking <laughs> to the audience here, Peggy, and um, these people that are messaging me. Now, that's the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, every time one of these cases is brought in one of these tribunals, that And these are not judges sitting there. These are not judges of the law because they are not dealing with law. These are ministerial clerks or hearing examiners, sometimes magistrates that are appointed by the governor. But they are contracted to and paid by the same agencies, APS, CPS, whomever it is that are coming against you. Plus, if there's an estate involved, or like in this case, Paris with your daughter's settlement, they get a percentage mm-hmm. of the value of that. On the East Coast, it's 2 to 3%. As you move west to California, it's 5 to 6%. Every time a motion is brought into that court, they're all tapping that estate. They're all tapping that settlement. They're all getting as much of it as they can. We've got exactly. about four minutes left here, girls. Paris, I want to thank you for coming back on. Uh, God, I don't know how you've stood this. Um, and Peggy, whew, you're such a load of information, I can't even believe it. And for the people texting and messaging me, do your own research. If you think we're wrong, you show me where we're wrong, and I'll retract it on air. But I have yet, in 13 and a half years, have anyone do that. Well, so, I can tell you before you, I come on any show... I always double-check my facts before I make any speeches. So I have right. my facts in front of me. Everything I've said, I can back up. So just do your research, yeah. and it will lead you to the evidence of what we said tonight. Okay, and then here's a message that says on that Bill 1010, it does not say that Florida can get jurisdiction. Yes, it does. If you are in Florida from another state for three days or more and you access a service of any kind florida claims they have jurisdiction over you you think about yeah, that go back and read to, it again yep. it's there and yep. 32 also states it in hr 845 so viewers need to really pay attention because if you live in another state this uh senate bill 1032 and it's, it's jurisdiction act accountability and the hr 845 if it gets passed it will go through um, um, Marco Rubio, uh, and he'll get, take it to Congress, and it will affect all states. So please pay attention. Please read it. 
Review it carefully. Don't rush through it. Please take your time when you have a day off and you're not taking care of your children. Review it, and you will see the facts we're telling you is true. And it's very yeah. important for you to write to Governor Ron DeSantis professionally, politely, and say you oppose these bills. Yes, yes. And everybody out there, please visit USA Citizens Guardianship Task Force, uh, Guardianship Task Force on Facebook. I have a direct link to it in the show promo. You can click and go right over there and join the efforts there. Okay, um, Peggy's genuinely trying to get something done. She and Betty, and please, if you can help out, do. Uh, again, Paris, thank you for coming back on. This is, whew, what a mind blower. And Peggy, Thanks we've got to sit down and. Yeah, we have got to sit down and put all of these steps you talked about taking, how to protect yourself. This is the first time I've ever heard this, to protect yourself I did when it. dealing with I these sources. I know it works. Okay. It works. All right. All right. And uh, and we're going to put that out because this is valuable, valuable information. And like I say, in all these years, it's the first time I've heard it. And um, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Yes. There you go. And that's what we need, solutions. Um, and the biggest one is getting rid of probate courts, family and children courts. Uh, this this should with not exist. With everybody's yep. support, we can get it done. Yep. But, you know, they say CPS is the largest child trafficking ring on the globe. So we're it's up against big funny. money. And, yeah. And big yep. business. So everybody, thank you for tuning in, even those people who disagreed. Uh, we welcome your disagreement. Bring your proof and show us wrong. Yeah. We'll, we'll announce it on air. Um, again, thank you, everyone. I hope you have a good week, what's left of it, and we will talk to you. Now, Peggy, you won't be here next Tuesday. Okay, no, but you'll I'll return Tuesday you. after that. All right. So, everyone, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. And thank and you we'll very be much back. for tuning in, everybody. Yes. And thank you, Paris. Good night, everyone. Thank you, ladies. Good thank night. Thank you. Good night. Good night, Paris. Thank you.